Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, a podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm your DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who doesn't have much hair left on his head and would rather be eating a slice of Wonder Bread and going right back to bed. Here's my <laughs> Samson and my co-host from the left coast. Here's Wayne Fugate. Hola, Ben. I mean, I predicted that one. I knew that was going to be, I knew the no hair thing was going to be involved. <laughs> So for this episode, we have a special guest. He's a member of the rock band, the Menzingers, who just released their sixth record. I think it's your sixth, right? Am it I right? is, yeah. All right. And it's called Hello Exile. He also hosts the podcast Future Friday. Please welcome to the podcast, Tom May of the Menzingers. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're excited for this. Yeah, I think we got you outnumbered here, too. I also am a uh, uh, challenged in the hair department these days. We're, we're all follically challenged. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all three, yes. Now I'm, yeah. now I'm in good company. I actually just switched to using a safety razor. I don't know if uh, something you guys ever messed around with, but it's been a, it's been a game changer. You can tell my been really exciting while we haven't been on tour here. I don't know anything about a safety razor. What is that? It's a really old timey looking razor oh, that they would use like okay. when they get assassinated uh, in a mob movie. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's awesome. I still haven't gone that far. I go one all over at the at the barber. <laughs> nice. Nice. Hell yeah. 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 Now that I work from home, I shave my head probably once a week. Nice. So, yeah. All right. Well, the premise of our podcast is fairly simple. We talk about music, not about shaving our heads. Uh, <laughs> but as we do at the beginning of each podcast, I ask the all-important question, what T-shirt are you wearing? Let's start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? You know what? A couple of weeks ago, I went and saw uh, Social Distortion with uh, Flogging Molly and a couple other bands. And uh, my my bastard half-brother brought bought me a uh social D shirt from the 40th anniversary. It's just got the, that skeleton that dances and uh, smokes and drinks martinis. Excellent. Nice. It's classic. So how many social D shirts is that now for you? Like six. <laughs> <laughs> you have a problem. One for every day of the week. Almost. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. How about you, Tom? What, uh, what t-shirt are you wearing? You know, I, I really, I was going to, I went through a couple different ones that I wanted to wear to, so I could sound real cool to you guys, but I went with my favorite shirt actually, which is, uh, it's a, it's a shirt that's made from some wild, uh, wild cotton combination. I don't know what exactly it is, but it's super comfortable. And it is uh, made by this company called fungi perfecti that sells like mushroom supplements and stuff like that. But it's a picture of this, uh, guy, holding a bunch of mushrooms growing out of his hands uh, and his name is Paul Stamets and he's the guy who is like this big personality that um, talks he's like the premier mycologist of the world and uh, he's like a super into super nerdy shit and I really like uh, <laughs> like all of that and I love wearing this shirt and it's the most comfortable shirt that I own too so I've just been been rocking that cool all right. nice yeah he's got like a Peter Pan looking hat on which is actually some kind of really old mushroom that they used to carry embers around before uh, well, we were still, you know, living in tribes, trekking across um, northern Africa and Europe and stuff like that. And it's just, uh, it is just so fascinating. And it's a really nerdy shirt. And it's also one of those shirts that, just like certain band shirts, somebody sees you wearing it and they know it. You're, you know, you're like instantly friends because it's such a niche kind of thing. Cool. No, I, I, I totally get that. I, I bonded uh, last week. I was, I was out in public. I don't remember what I was doing. Oh, I was at, I was at Target. And I was wearing my Bob Mould shirt and somebody saw me and he's like, 
you know, pumps his chest a little bit with the, you know, <laughs> the fist, the fist pump. And he's like, yeah, Bob Mould. Yeah. <laughs> so, Bob Mould rules. Exactly. All right. So, uh, speaking of comfy shirts, so, um, I am wearing, uh, my most recent addition to the collection, my ships have sailed shirt. So if you've listened to that episode, you know that, uh, I was trying to give my money to Lily Hyatt and she didn't have my size. So, I went and bought a T-shirt from Will from Ships of Sailed, and he he sold me on the comfy part, Wayne. And oh yeah, he, he was he was not kidding. This is now my favorite shirt. Nice, that's the best feeling. Yeah. Oh, uh, so yes. so good. I may wear it tomorrow. <laughs> that's how much that's how much it's comfy. So all right, let's switch gears. So, uh, Tom, so I've read two different things about where you guys are from. So are you from Philadelphia or are you from Scranton? So we grew up and met each other in Scranton. Uh, we moved to Philadelphia about 12, 13 years ago. Okay. So we kind of have been a band basically exclusively in Philadelphia, but we did grow up uh, in Scranton, which is like two, two, two hours, two and a half hours north of Philadelphia. Right. And before the office, did anybody know where Scranton was? Uh, or even care where Scranton yeah, was. Yeah, I think so. It has a, a, a weird, you know, a weird kind of history of um, being a bigger city and place where a lot of the anthracite coal came from in the country. And then oh, as the okay. 20th century went on, the population cut down to less than half of what it was before, and it turned into kind of like a your perfect uh, example of a, of a of a declining Rust Belt city. And declining, I just mean economically. There's still, you know, huge and, and awesome. Uh, rich cultural heritage there. Oh, it's also where Hillary Clinton's dad is from. So that might be where people uh, have known it. And Joe Biden is from there as well. So uh, not just not just the office. No, not just the office. In fact, it's such like a, a small uh, small city, small town complex that when the office had first come out and I found out that it would, took place in Scranton, I refused to watch it while we were first touring. I was like, this is making us look stupid. <laughs> and then I finally, uh, finally watched it and realized this is one of the funniest shows ever. And uh, it, oh, it has, so yeah, it makes Scranton look like a hilarious, the hilarious place that it is. And there's so many times in the background yeah. of that show where they they mention small restaurants and and house bars and stuff like that that you would never in a million years think that they would say on on a network television show like that. And it's just like a really funny inside joke for the people who live in Scranton. Yeah, considering it wasn't filmed in Scranton. No, we don't have palm trees in, in Scranton in the background. No. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's not it's not sunny every day. No, no in fact, Scranton. my uh, my girlfriend is not from. Scranton, uh, but we go visit often, and I think it's been gray and raining every single time that we went to visit. So she thinks it's just like uh, English weather kind of place. <laughs> there you go. All right, so new album just came out. I'm loving it. In fact, when oh, I yes. should have been listening to uh, the record that you picked to revisit to figure out my scores, I instead was listening to Hello Exile. Babe, um, flattering. Oh, I yeah, I was. He told me I was going to like it, and I, I absolutely love it. I spent probably the last hour listening to it. Oh no, kidding! Thank you guys. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And and since you guys make vinyl for the albums you record, I have to say that side one of Hello Exile is solid. Awesome. That is a solid. That's a solid side. Yeah, man. It's funny how side much time a. we put into it. The entire thing is framed by the vinyl. So while while we're sequencing, we don't consider it in any other uh, framework other than how we're going to do side a side b how many minutes can we fit on each side uh what kind of balance do we have to keep between how much is on one side and the quality that we're going to be able to maintain and that's uh that's that's just how the entire conversation goes even though most people are going to stream it um you know 
the, the main format that we like to listen to it. And the one that we kind of just expect people to listen to is uh, is on vinyl. Tom, you've just became like my favorite guest ever (laughs) because, because one of the things that I say on just about every episode and Wayne, you can vouch for this is how important sequencing is for a record. And if you screw up the sequencing, it pisses me off. So yeah, that's that. That's great to 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 hear you say that. Yeah, so. man. Even uh, while we're writing, we try to keep that uh, in mind. I think, uh, you know, at least a lot of the other artists that are our friends work along the same kind of uh, ideas when it comes to sequencing. And it's funny because you figured these days a lot of people just listen to one song, or um, when you're streaming it, it'll just be the most popular songs or the singles that were released first because of whatever kind of way that they, excuse me, uh, algorithmically calculate it. They're gonna weight those songs, but we always just try to to make it one thing across. Um, and sequence it the right way yeah and i hope i hope i'm not coming across as like side two is bad because that that's not what i'm trying to say no, sure. um but on but on side two is a song called portland is that yes. about portland oregon or is that about portland maine portland oregon so okay yeah it's it's uh it, it the setting is portland oregon the the song went through many let's births and deaths i'd say <laughs> and uh, the original incarnation of the song was about a couple from um, North Scranton, who moved to Portland to work in the uh, illicit um, marijuana trade, and this was uh, years ago when okay. you know that was a thing that people from Scranton did. You can go out there and trim in September and October, and you'd, you'd make a, an enormous amount of money, uh, and then come back. But now, as it's gotten legalized and destigmatized, it kind of doesn't exist that way. It's not like the mm-hmm. the Wild West like it was. Um, but that was how that song first started. So we just we just kept 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 that together. So I have to ask, so the lyric in the song where you said, the future is unwritten, let the past stay in the past. So based on the tunes on the record, I don't think you guys are following that mandate of letting the past be in the past, though. So No, definitely not. Yeah. So so songs like Anna, Strangers Forever, High School Friend, those all seem to be about trying to put <laughs> put relationships and friendships kind of in the rear view. Is that is that pretty accurate? Um, I think that you can take that from it for sure, and okay. that's what we try to do is write so that people can take uh, from the songs what they need to take from them at the time, or what they even want to take from them at the time. And um, yeah, it's kind of a dance, you know. You don't want to dance and say that because nostalgia is something that you can really kind of get a massive emotional response from someone easily. You know what I mean? Like uh, kind of reaching back like that is a, is not a cheap trick, but it's like a, a way that you can really help have someone have like a, even a cathartic um, response to something. Yeah. But yeah, I think that the misremembering of the past or the remembering or the interpretation of the past is a, a how we can really suss out who we are now and then from there you can figure out where you're going so you can kind of start to see the same things repeating or the same themes rhyming or whatever and uh, i think that that's where we really try to to flirt with when we talk that much about the past yeah i think my favorite song is last to know nice dude thank you that one's a that one's a weird one uh
explain the lyrics because I could go three different ways with my ter- interpretation of the lyrics on that one. Uh, okay, so the the way that I wrote the song is very um, one way. So I would okay. love to hear the way the three that you possibly have. Um, but yeah, the the way that uh, the, that song was inspired to me by um, epigenetics, like the uh, it's a more new kind. And I don't even know if I fully understand it to be honest. I might have just taken what I was reading and uh, misinterpreted it. Go figure, and and then just you know butchered it to death. <laughs> but to me, it's uh, the way that the circumstances and experiences that you can have can change your genetic makeup and your DNA, and especially in the way it relates to passing on to your offspring. So the idea that humanity, since we started evolving, you know, what, 400,000 years ago or whatever, like to the, to the modern man, um, all of these traumatic experiences that we've had and all these like uh, physical, uh, emotional, uh, and mental hardships have shaped what each person is as it's gotten closer to us, this generation where we are now. And I think that one thing we're going to start seeing in the next years that we're seeing now is a lot of people are unpacking these things that happened to mm-hmm. them when they were younger and things that happened to their parents and starting to be able to, to build a better life for themselves. And that song um, is about that with some spooky, spooky shit. Thrown yeah. It, it, the, the, there's some, <laughs> some serious cool imagery going on in there. So yeah, a couple of the, Thanks. the, the interpretation I had was first, I guess you could just go literal and, you know, dagger in my hand killed another man blah 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 um but i i saw it more from the from the the standpoint of you know you pass down stuff to to your to your offspring some of it's good some of it's bad um you know i'm kind of going through that right now just uh full disclosure i'm i'm heading back up to washington this weekend and uh for my dad's memorial service and so i've I've had the uh, fortune and misfortune to write his eulogy <laughs> and, and yeah. uh, you know, I, I see the good things that my dad passed down to me, but I also see that, um, you know, the, the stubbornness. Yeah. I, I gained that from him. The, uh, the ability to maybe judge too harshly at times. I learned that from him. But I also learned like how to serve people, and I like learned empathy from him as well. So, so yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And and so when I was listening to this, and I'm like, that could be a partial interpretation of that as well. That you know, we were kind of the last to know that that we're like our parents. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm very sorry to hear about your father passing. Um, Thank you. And uh, yeah, and that's a, a, a thanks so, so much for sharing those observations that you have about that. And I'm sure that mental space that you've been put in for having to write the eulogies, that's like spot on. And that's uh, that actually that first and second verse of that song was inspired by a funeral. My mom's mom had mm-hmm. passed right when we were writing that song. So it was like a kind of a uh, the setting and stuff is dead on. And I think you yeah, you, you hit that right in the head. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's a great song. Great song. Thank, thanks, really, man. Really, really enjoy that. That one was a lot of fun. <laughs> I mean, it's not a lot of fun right. dramatically, but recording it with uh, ripping guitars like that was something that we never we never did before. I mean, put a bunch of weird sounds inside of it. Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah it's cool. Yeah, it's cool. So I, I do have to ask you, since you guys are on Epitaph Records, so you guys mm-hmm. are on a label, which um, is kind of a dying thing out there a little bit. 
Um, we've had a lot of independent artists on the podcast recently. And in one situation, we had a musician in Liz Longley who was on a label, but decided to go back to being independent. But it looks like your label is like really backed this record. You've had what three videos out already? Yeah. Yeah. So, and cool design vinyl. Um, you know, my brother indicated that your song America, I love you, but you're freaking me out was on one of his Spotify discover lists and he hasn't even listened to you guys before. So cool. that's, I yeah, guess man, that's that cool. stuff. Those, uh, yeah, those Spotify, um, discover playlists. It's like a new form of, of radio in and of itself. You know, uh, I actually listened to a podcast with that guy. Uh, it was a Freakonomics episode where they primarily interviewed him. And he brought up a bunch of uh, really interesting points about that platform. And uh, one of them was that they had the intention of, you know, democratizing music and getting rid of being the gatekeepers. And that was one of the things they wanted to do. But then with their playlists, like the Rap Caviar one that has, I don't know, millions of millions of people subscribe to it and it changes weekly, they became a new kind of gatekeeper or a new kind of tastemaker in in a sense. Uh, And as far as the labels go, yeah, working with Epitaph Records has been phenomenal for us. They uh, were a record label. That, I mean, I used to draw their logo on my notebooks um, <laughs> in high school. You know, they had they put out compilations called uh, the Punkorama series. Yeah, and that was uh, our first introduction to a lot of the punk yeah. bands, and that was super cool. And they've, uh, you know, it's kind of weird, like what role the label plays in these times. Um, they definitely still exist in the sense that the, the there's no there's a couple of massive independent artists like Macklemore. I think he had set a record. Um, for the largest uh, independent selling record that might have been broken since then. Uh, but before that, it was Smash by Offspring, which was released on Epitaph Records, uh, which is a, a pretty interesting tidbit. But yeah, all the ma- major artists are on major labels because of the way that um, they held the keys to things like radio and uh, the relationships that they maintain with promoters around the country and, and the likes of that. But I think that the they're kind of like a bank with connections that gives you a loan that you pay back forever. Um, what, yeah. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds dark in a lot of cases it is, but let's say you got $10,000 to make a record and you spent the $10,000 on you know whatever. And the way that you pay that back is a certain percentage of your sales up to a point where they're paid that 10 grand back. And then you continue to pay another rate back to the label in perpetuity, no matter how many records you sell forever. So it's, um, you, you know, it's, it's interesting because they have the, infrastructure and the kind of like guidebook to how you can become more popular. And they used to be a lot more of a brand and a tastemaker or whatever you want to call it. Like like the way I described it was if I saw a band was on Epitaph, I would be, you know, I would go see them if it was written on the flyer, right. uh, that kind of, yeah. that kind of situation. And now, and today with the internet, you can reach your fans. You can, you could get a laptop from the Apple store for like 600 bucks or whatever, like a used one or 1300 bucks. Let's say you get a new one. You can use the software that comes with it to make a song completely electronically that's good enough to go on the radio and you can maintain all of that with everything right there by yourself in theory. So it's kind of just a lot of those things have been replaced and a lot of our friends have left labels and, and been either crowdsourcing their records or crowdsourcing their um, expenses 
and releasing it themselves, you know, it's a lot of work, but uh, yeah. it's definitely something that's totally doable and uh, makes a whole lot of sense for a lot of people. So there is still a world out there where a record label actually works for their musicians. Oh, yeah. For us, it's incredible. Even yeah. some of the people that first started that were in lower uh, ranking positions, I guess. I don't even know how you say that, uh, are now running the label. You know, like they've worked their way up and the people that came in the same time as us are now we've grown uh, older with them so it's it's been really cool to watch that part of it change and for us yeah they work really hard for us i mean just the thought that there's somebody at a conference table <laughs> with like 11 people and people on speakerphone having a conversation about the songs that we wrote um in our repurposed storefront practice space is just i mean it's yeah it's pretty cool and it's hilarious as well <laughs> so <laughs> Since you guys are on Epitaph, so you, I'm assuming you consider yourself a punk band or a punk influence band? Oh, yeah. We are a punk band for sure. Um, okay. That's how we came up. That's how we've been. Uh, every person who is a punk has a different, often contradictory definition and identity of what punk is. But we that's how we came up, and that's kind of how I always, always describe it. So Wayne is always telling me how unpunk I am. So I'm, I was hoping to develop, I was hoping to develop some street cred with Wayne that I like a punk band. And just the fact that you said the Menzingers are a punk band and I love you guys. Um, Wayne, do I get any cred for that? Yeah, absolutely. Get some. Cause I agree. I, I listened to this and the first thing, it was funny as I was trying, I was like, they have, they have this nostalgic sound, but yet it's, you it reminded me like of one of those, uh, punk bands or pop, those pop punk bands from the early 2000s. It's almost like you guys got this cool sound where you like, maybe you had a little taste of fame, broke up, went home, got real jobs, found yourself listening to your dad's Bruce Springsteen records and Tom Petty records, and then got back and got the band back together and have, you have this cool, just this real cool adult, I mean, <laughs> sound like I, I really, I, I listened to, this was the first time I listened to the album and I absolutely loved well, it. I was in love with it. such a good, uh, uh, <laughs> great description of our band. I love that. That's hilarious. And not too far off either. <laughs> so I, so I was just going to ask, so <laughs> in your collection, there's probably Ramones records, but there's also Springsteen records. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. more so I know Greg's dad listened to Bruce Springsteen a lot. Um, okay. and for me, Bruce Springsteen was my dad would listen to, there was a rock, a classic rock station in Scranton called rock 107. And every, maybe it was Christmas or new year's, they would play the greatest 200 rock and roll songs of all time or whatever, as they had it. And then we would always like try to, my dad would always try to get in the car or be in the car for when it came down to the last three or four, because it was always, uh, uh, you know, Born to Run and some of the other Bruce Springsteen songs that mm -hmm. he really, really loved. So I always associate that. Um, those really early happy memories with that kind of rock and roll music. And I think that those are the feelings that we chase after when we're trying to emulate that sound. It works. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. So I'm seeing you guys in a few weeks in Orlando. Oh, all right. One of my favorite so the places to play. Yeah, so the venue you selected has a strict no moshing policy. Is that going to be an issue for you guys? It never is, uh, because they're usually not that strict about it. Uh, so we'll see. And our fans are are, are pretty, if not well behaved, they're very uh, respectful. Respectful. Right, we'll, we'll we'll see how that goes. You guys are yeah. playing the Beecham. Yeah, we've played there before, and we didn't have any 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 okay. problems. Uh, okay. All right. 
It wasn't last time we played there though. I think they cleared it out early for a, uh, like a nightclub event afterwards. So it was like a I, a stark contrast to the show. So I hope that that that's always the <laughs> worst when they do that. Or I'm sorry, it's always the worst when they do that. Uh, they do that. Yeah. Uh, th- they've been doing that more on the other side, the smaller venue that's attached to the beach and the social. Yeah, and um, we we've had a few people on who have commented because I saw I saw Cracker at at the social. And they started the concert at like 6.20 to make sure that they were done by their 9 o'clock curfew. Yeah, man, they do that. They do that a lot uh, in that. Europe as well. It's also the worst, dude. So, I mean, it's all such a hustle. You know, like, you can make twice as much money in one night, especially if uh, people are going to be drinking that much afterwards. Like, yeah. I don't know. But Whatever. you get to play there and you get to see the show, so that's cool. There you go. There you yeah. go. All right. So Tiger Tiger's Jaws joining you on the upcoming tour. Yeah, Tiger's Jaw. Uh Ben, um, one of the two singers is my cousin, actually. Oh, and okay. Greg, yeah, they're they're from Scranton as well. Uh I grew up there and live they live down in Philly now too, actually. So but, I'm gonna um, have to get familiar yeah. more with them. Oh yeah, they're one of my absolute favorite bands. Uh yeah. all right. So so let me ask you this. Their version of Fleetwood Max Gypsy. Are they trying to be cheeky with that version, or were they legitimately trying to pay homage to Fleetwood Mac? Uh, I don't know if I'd call it cheeky. That's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, but that's their that's their style, man. That's uh, that's okay. Adam putting it out like that. The instrumentation is awesome. The way he changes the guitar riff, I love. And the uh, I can well, see I love why, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the uh, he's, Adam's got a such a unique and incredible attitude that he brings to everything he does. He does a project now called Wicked Phase. Uh, Springs Eternal, and it's and it's awesome. At first, it took me a little bit to get into because it was so um, uh, uh, novel to me. And now, as I listen to, especially the newest record that he put out, it's it's fantastic. And there's such like a is 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 probably the mo- one of, if not the most rock and roll person that that I know. Uh, that dude, okay, is is fantastic. I played it. I played it for a friend, and um, he's like there's something off putting about not hearing this being sung by Stevie. Nicks. <laughs> Fair and, enough. I, and I was yeah. just like, and I was just like, just, just listen to the end part. Cause I think, I think this dude is a Lindsay fan because he very much tries to emulate Lindsay Buckingham's playing style at the end. Oh and, yeah. And Lindsay, Lindsay kind of shreds at the, at, at the end of it. Yeah, totally. Uh, and that's Ben that plays that guitar part. And he's uh, one of the best guitar players I know as well. He's uh, always shredded. He played in like he, him and they said his band scumbag petty him and a couple other guys. And they would just play, they wrote a bunch of classic rock songs, but they would just play classic rock songs at bars around here. And they would just kill okay. it. It was these guys, all these like, you know, professional, um, original musicians that would just get together for fun and do that. And he, yeah, they always kill it. It was great. Love it. Funny thing about that, that uh, cover, sorry, real quick, is that uh, yeah. of all of the, you know, if you, if you listen to a artist on Spotify and then it'll start to autoplay whatever afterwards based off of whatever yeah. you used to listen right. to, that song comes on more often than anything. I think it just like bridges so many weird gaps between some of the things that I listen to that it always just, it's like guaranteed that their cover is going to pop up. It's so funny. Wow. Okay. Now that now that it's on one of my playlists, I'm wondering if it's going to come up on uh, on some of those. Now that I said it, definitely. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Spotify is always listening. (laughs) Always. (laughs) 
So uh, we try not to get too political on our episodes, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about the video and song for America, You're Freaking Me Out. Yeah, sure. theme of well at least of the video where it ends with the uh, homeland security people um escorting the alien into into the, the uh, into the van <laughs> yeah i don't know if a refrain in a song has ever been more of as has ever captured more of how i yeah. feel than well, that, that line right there uh, if we we're trying to do it it's <laughs> tough to i think be political uh in song Without being too on the nose, and I think that we uh, we did the best we could with that one. Um, the way that we came with that video is actually we were in a group text message situation, like a group chat with our manager, and then the four of us just started riffing on those ideas, and um, we kind of like came up with a, a, a big old story for it, and we're trying to get all these visuals together, and uh, and our manager was taking them down and and, cl- and uh, collecting them for us, and then we sent them out to a director that did our video for a song called I Don't Want to Be an Asshole Anymore that uh, featured the likeness of Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th. Yeah. Or whatever his mom, I don't know how you say that. It's like a Frankenstein, <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein situation. But uh, yeah, and he he took it and ran even further with it uh, and changed it and made it his style. And I think that the video came out fantastic. It was funny. We, we only saw it, you know, a very short amount of time before it came out. Uh, so we okayed it and we made a couple of like editorial decisions on scenes. But besides that, we just sent him the idea. And once in a while we would get a, you know, a picture of something that they were filming and we're just getting more and more excited every time. Yeah. Cause so, you guys aren't in really cool. that one. Like you're in, no, we're not in that you're one. In strangers and we're not forever. in the one that he made. Right. Yeah. We're in strangers yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah. You guys make great videos. Thanks, man. <laughs> I'm serious. That's uh, yeah, that, that, that's another common topic that we've talked about on many an episode of why why aren't you doing videos? So, anyways, mm-hmm. yeah, it's because uh, they're expensive as hell, and you don't make any money from them. Probably, it's <laughs> right. a good uh, good reason. Well, that that but, would uh, be one. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want to name the director. His name is Whitey. Or, I'm sorry. His name is Rob McConaughey, and he uh, he recently switched to going by that name as opposed to. Uh, a name that he used to go by, gotcha. uh, and he's he's awesome. I love um, you know the interactions that we've had with him, and the videos that he's made for us are incredible. Yeah, what kind of reactions are you getting from that song? You know, like I said, my my brother is getting that in the Discover Weekly, so I'm assuming that people are are getting connected with that song. 
connected with that video. I'm assuming everybody else is, is basically saying the same thing of, uh, you nailed it. That's how I feel right now. Yeah, people people really seem to like it, man. It's actually funny. Some people, it could be the song's a little bit polarizing, not in a uh, political sense that we, that we know of, but for the tempo and the pacing of the song, I think some people have an interesting take on it. But for the most part, people are really excited about the song. And one way that we have been able to gauge um, the way that people receive our music is from touring and we haven't really done touring since we put the song out. So uh, we're going on that tour soon and it's going to be really, that's when we're really going to be able to see how uh, the uh, people are reacting to it because it's tough. There's a lot of, um, like, I guess, noise that you can get from social media and a lot of uh, uh, succinct things you can get from social media as well. But of, uh, uh, I'm going to ruffle my glasses up, uh, you know, in like a really pretentious way and just say that I've been avoiding uh, some of that stuff recently. And it's been, a little bit freeing, but I'm also really chomping at the bit to find out what people think about the record and, and that song as well. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how it goes yeah. over on the tour. Yeah, you guys were just up in St. Augustine a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. yeah. Because I, I, I was going to go to that when that uh, festival was announced, and then I saw that you were coming to Orlando. I'm like... Yeah, I think I'd rather go to the Orlando one. So, ah, fair enough, man. Yeah, that's uh, that town, though. I gotta say, St. Augustine is one of the more that's unique cool. places in the United States that I've been. Uh, we spent a couple days there. It was uh, my girlfriend Beth Ann's birthday, so we we hung out there for a couple days, and it was awesome. I love that place. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. But the uh, I'm assuming that you guys played on the stage in the like adjacent to the the main amphitheater. Actually, we didn't because of the weather. So they moved the show. Uh, okay. It was meant to be on that stage, and they moved the show into the amphitheater proper. And uh, thank God, knock on, well, I guess don't need to knock on wood anymore. But uh, th- enough people came, and it filled out really well. And it, uh, it, it looked fantastic while we were playing, and it felt great. That's it was good. actually the great, we did a couple of tours where we played in amphitheaters, opening up for you know massive bands. And uh, of all of those tours and all of those shows, this was by far our best amphitheater show. It was just it was awesome everybody worked there it was incredible some of them were old friends uh the fact that the government uh the local government and uh whichever sponsors or civic associations kick in the cash to make it free it that's just so cool it's yes. a really cool way to get uh um cool people to come to you know your town and they're getting they're getting great artists to come yeah man they had like casey musgraves was there yeah. uh one of the weekends um last year yeah, the was... last year the headliner was uh jason isbell with the decemberist and then lucero that's incredible <laughs> that was that was a fantastic <laughs> lineup it was yeah that is amazing was, yeah it was great all right well let's um Let's jump into the record that you chose, but we, we've been asking all of our guests one question from transition from our interview questions to the record. So Toto's Africa, good or bad song? That song's fantastic. Who okay. would think that's a bad song? That's um, like the guy at the party that says uh, that the, the Beatles are overrated. Or somebody who says the Godfather is not a good movie. Oh, you you like just, those, that guy. You just described Wayne. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Uh, no, that's not true. I don't think that the Beatles are overrated at all. And I love the Godfather. I think the Toto's Africa has no soul. Yeah, fair enough. I, think it's you can, I would uh, say that you could make that argument. I actually just listened to, like, just read the lyrics while I was listening to it recently because uh, someone had posted an acoustic version of it online. And I was like, eh. Never really realized what the song's about. Yeah, but, uh, the yeah, lyrics are pretty nonsensical, but 
it makes you feel good. And Wayne oh, just yeah. doesn't just doesn't lots have of, a soul. Lots of things make you feel good, Ben, that are wrong <laughs> and terrible. Definitely got a point. Man, That's when true. I was in, in high school, we used to get uh or right after high school, I guess, we, we used to get really stoned and watch this guy play that song completely by himself on guitar, bass, rhythm, and lead. Uh, his name is Andy something, but yeah, so that, that's forever going to be my main memory of Toto's Africa. <laughs> All right. Well, one in my column, Wayne. <laughs> I'll right. give you that one. So, uh, so, Tom, tell us what record you chose to revisit for this episode. Uh, I chose uh, Begin to Hope, which is uh, a, a record by Regina Spector. All right. Uh, what were some of the other records that you thought about? Mm, I thought about Out Come the Wolves uh, by Rancid. Oh, that was one that was real important to me. Um, My heart just broke. Yeah, totally. But I had to, I had to go part, partly I went with Regina Spector because I figured that it wouldn't be expected that I would go for it. And also because I was really stoked because I was about to go see her show on Broadway that, uh, that she did. She did like a six, six shows and whatever, however many was in New York. And it was awesome. So, so yeah, that was one of the, one of my notes. Um, so she played on Broadway for five, five nights and she said that she was going to do some theatrical parts of the concert show. So what, what else did she bring out besides, uh, her music? Oh, it was fantastic. One of the, the highlights of the night was she brought out, uh, two of the guys from Coco Bordello. And they did a traditional, okay. uh, I think it was a Russian folk song together. And dude was just clearly hammered, like drinking uh, wine by the, by the bottle. <laughs> and uh, they did that, and they were like lit in a theater way with the spotlights straight across. And they were just that was that was really cool. But the the main things that she did that were theatrical, I'd say, was um, the incorporation of a giant kind of three dimensional type of screen behind her that they used to not do like video visuals as much, but kind of just added a, um, a real far ranging and, and, and wild aesthetic to the entire thing that made it look really kind of like, um, you know, it was trippy, I guess. <laughs> and, uh, what the other theatrical things that they did was they had some dancers that came out and did actually tap dancing that created a lot of the rhythm to some of the parts, especially her early stuff where she does a lot of percussive, kind of um work on the top of the piano in kind of like a weird way with just her knuckles and that was definitely reminiscent of some of the earlier things that she had she had written and it was uh it was really cool cool so let's get some bio info on begin to hope so this is the fourth album by regina it was released in june of 2006 uh peaked at number 20 on the billboard 200 and rolling stone named it the 21st best album of 2006 and i forgot to do my homework to find out what exactly was ahead of it but whatever um so one of the things that when i was doing some research on regina so i'll give you my background um so kudos to my to my little brother he introduced me to regina specter back in early 2000s before this record came out so there were a couple couple songs off of uh, soviet kitsch that he had put on a you know a mix cd for me he essentially told me that i would enjoy her because he felt like uh there was some kate bush elements to to regina is that is that pretty accurate yeah i can see that i'm not the biggest kate bush fan um 
Not that I don't like her, just that I haven't gone down that path yet, I would, I would say, more likely. But yeah. Yeah, I could totally see that, for sure. Um, I think that in the early aughts and mid-aughts, kind of, um, there was, at least in my mind at the time, uh, a group of kind of um, folk-ish, rock-ish female artists that got lumped together um, with like certain people I knew that were huge fans of them at the time, and I had always heard Regina Spector's name and 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 uh, in there that area and circles, and it never really stood out to me until someone put um, the same situation, put two of her songs in a mix for me, and after that, I was just you know, obsessed. And I uh, just s- s- tried to seek out as much of uh, her music I could get. In fact, there's not really that many bands or artists that I, I can, that I know all of their songs, um, you know, and like the clash and, and rancid and some, some other punk bands. I definitely have g- gone through different phases of my life where I listen to the record. Sometimes when did it come out or sometimes, you know, decades later, but Regina Spector is one of the few where I've just have been completely obsessed with everything that she's, she's put out. Awesome. And that they have described her genre as anti-folk. What exactly does that mean? Anti-folk? Man, I couldn't tell you. Okay. I, uh, All right. I missed that, uh, that, 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 um, shove genre boat. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. What else did I want to say? Oh, so she is married to Jack Dishel who was in the band the moldy peaches yeah he uh they have a song together actually and they performed it at the broadway show it was, it was, oh, it was awesome they? cool yeah. cool all right any other background info on regina that we feel like we need to chat on is is the know. whole is the whole thing of you know she's a she's a soviet immigrant you know she came over to the states when she was what nine or something like that do we care like I know that they bring that up a lot in in you know some of her press but I don't I don't know if I care all that much. It certainly informs her music. Um there's a whole she has several songs in Russian language and traditional Russian folk songs that are B-sides for records and I'm not sure which ones are actually on the records but uh that tradition of of folk music and that kind of like um klezmer um type of folky traveling stringed music is like, like Gorgo Bordello and bands like that uh, is definitely informed some of her, her songs. And I think that that's uh, important in her experience as well. And uh, the way that she talks about more in some of like more in-depth interviews about what that was like to gain that experience of, of leaving the Soviet union like that coming to the United States, moving to the Bronx and then experiencing America as the idyllic or ideological track that a lot of people view America as I think is definitely um, and it led to her having interesting observations about the culture in itself too. So I think, uh, yeah, and plus it's a great story, you know, like uh, I think yeah. that's why we like, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's, it's a great story. Yeah. yeah. And, and there is one song on this record that there is some, some Russian being spoken in it. Correct. Uh, I think it's French. And, is that uh, French? The, the title of the song is French, but the, what she, Towards the end of the that track, yeah, you're it right. It is Russian. Yeah. I think it's a poem I had read. But just the uh, was I going to say is her family like she was such a prodigy at piano. They actually considered not leaving Russia in order not to break up her, you know, her to take her from the 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 lesson she was ha- the the track she was on to the piano. Yeah. So 
And that that actually shows in her piano playing. I can see. Oh, yeah. It's phenomenal. When she kind of like just flies out there. She's amazing. Yeah. All right. Um, So we're going to go with the U.S. release of this record. So if you look at Spotify, there's like three different versions of this record. So we're we're doing the U.S. release. So um, as a reminder, our scoring is based on number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on the U.S. release? Twelve. That means our top song is going to get 12 points. Next favorite, 11 on down to lowest score of one. Let's kick this off. Here's first song. This is Fidelity. So this was released as the second single and marked Spectre's first Billboard 100 entry. And according to Wikipedia, is her most successful track to date, which I don't know if that's that's accurate because I know that there's there's been a few other singles since then that have gotten a little airplay and some traction. Um, she said that she wrote the song while watching the movie High Fidelity. <laughs> which if uh if that's one of your favorite favorite movies then um you're good friends with me because i i love i love nick hornby <laughs> one of my favorite authors if you look at if you look at wikipedia it will tell you all the various uh tv series and movies that this song has been in it's been in a ton so it definitely did get some some traction. What do you guys have to say about Fidelity? Well, this is the first thing I ever heard from her. I, I, I missed the first single. I remember hearing this, and I think it's familiarity, like, helped me out. But I just, I mean, it's got a quirkiness. Like, she has a couple of different styles on this record. You know, this one's not one of the heavy piano songs. And it's just got this quirky pop song feel that I that I just enjoyed listening and found myself singing on the every time it came around yeah she definitely shines really uh uh, brightly with a lot of the kind of like syncopated weird noises that she makes with her mouth i love that shit and uh that is such a quirky quirky part of this song that was uh you know it's a great observation of it um to me there's also like you said the familiarity so it's not the first song that i heard by her but it was one that i heard it and realized it was her and was like yeah i've definitely heard this before i don't know if it was on you know the radio or college radio or in the background of uh, some kind of television show or something like that but i remember listening to it and being like oh yeah that's who this is and to this day every time i hear the beginning of it it's you know i get uh, uh, really excited it puts a smile on my face because i'm listening to the record and i associate it with as being the first song as we do with those things and it's uh yeah it's it, to me it's a straightforward kind of pop song but it's not that straightforward it's a little bit uh more nuanced and a little bit uh quirky and it's um yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. It's weird because it's not necessarily a love song about how much it sucks 
that they've been broken up with or how in love they are. It's a, to me, it's always kind of like an observation of this could be hard because I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah. How often yeah. when you hear, hear the first bars of this song where you just go, ready, I'm going to say, shake it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think what's the first lyrics of the song are "I never love nobody fully." Yeah, um, it's kind of like setting it up to to you know, it doesn't always have to be the theme of the of the whole thing, but that kind of sets it up, sets up the whole record right there. Yeah, and I think it sets it up sets up for the next song because she keeps talking about you know it's going to be better, 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 and guess what the next song is? Yeah, yeah. But what is it with it? What's with the like Cockney accent when she first starts saying it? It's funny as I have no, I remember another, the thing that it always reminds me of is Lily Allen. Cause I think she was also another like female singer songwriter. that was a right around this time. And so <laughs> whenever I hear her do that, I'm like, I can't tell. I, I always have this feeling and I have nothing to back it up that she's either. That's like a shout out to Lily Allen or like a shot yeah, at her. Yeah, I'm I not totally sure. See. I actually read one time. I think I could be, Hopefully I'm right. Uh, that she said the song was for some of her friends that were British, or she wrote it about some of her friends that were British, so she purposefully pronounced better that way. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll go with that. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's pretty well. Yeah. All right. Anything else before we get some scores on this song? Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> nope. The video is cool. I remember the video being awesome. So. If you're listening, you want to check it out. There's a bunch of um, other actresses dressed up uh, like Regina in it that are moving with her. And she has like a, a like a pretty uh, intense giant afro in it and stuff. And it's really yeah, it's yeah. a fun video. All right, let's get some scores, Tom. I don't have it in oh. front of me. I'd have to check the way that I scored it, but uh, I can pull it up. Here, one second. I can whisper buddy. it to you. I can whisper it to me. It's a ten. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense that it would be. Yeah, I All right, a 10. Wayne, your score. You know what? I gave it my top score. I gave it a twelve, and I, I struggle because the last few weeks I've decided I'm just going to score this, and then I'm gonna, and I'm just going to let it go. I'm not. But there was another song that kept battling, but I, I held strong. Gave this my top score. You know, All right. I give this. A, did we do 11. the score for Fidelity? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Oh, we're just we're doing it. Did we? No, do we skip? I think we skipped it. Then we did we just jumped into better right now, right? No, no, he mentioned better, and then we talked about how she. Oh, how she, my how she apologies. Said it, That's why. Oh yeah, tell. Uh, yeah, fidelity definitely a ten. My bad, guys. Yeah, no worries. Cool. No worries. All right, uh, that moves us to second song. This is better. <laughs> Um, again, lots of lots of placements in various various uh, television shows. This was in How I Met Your Mother and um, Good Wife, and I don't know. There was all sorts of other ones. So the guitar on this is Nick Valenci from The Strokes. Wow! And and 
she opened for the strokes back in the early 2000s i think that's what kind of got her yeah that's kind of what got her i don't know if they got her the record deal but it definitely got her notice when you know you're you're part of they're lumping these and i'm going to use this you know in air quotations the anti-folk people in with you know a band like the strokes who not considered anti-folk um that they're a rock band yeah and at the time they um, were you know the the american uh, rock they were, band. They were, they were yeah. yeah oh yeah i love the strokes too that uh is this it that record is so good uh forever man <laughs> yeah um and david i think you pronounce it is con who uh, it's k-a-h-n-e so he he would go on to produce. I don't think he produced this one. I know he produced it, her next record. Yeah, he did he produce is, this one. Yeah, did he? Yeah, he produced okay. this one. He produced Far as well, which is the I believe the one after this that has the blue right uh, thing on the. See, I knew he produced that one. I guess I should have done more homework on this particular one. Yeah, that guy produced um, everything. That guy produced uh, Sublime, self-titled. That guy produced such a far wide-ranging, <laughs> like random group of records. I remember looking it up once and was like, what? He could, did he produce an Eminem record, um, possibly, or help work on one of the singles or something? I don't remember, but I think that was uh, what the, his is uh, producing brought in a lot of these more sonically pop and uh, unconventional noises and uh, arrangements into the record, as compared to a more uh, stripped down singer and a piano kind of stuff before this. Yeah, I'm looking at his credits right now. Um, so he won a Grammy in 95 for MTV Unplugged Tony Bennett. <laughs> All right. So so just listen to this roster of people that he's worked with. So you already mentioned Sublime, which, you know, Sublime, Regina Spector, that's kind of, you know, it's alternative. Um, he's also worked with Paul McCartney, The Bangles, New Order, Sugar Ray, Stevie Nicks, Lana Del Rey. And then, you know, some of these that don't maybe fit in the same genre, but Kelly Clarkson, the outfield. Wow. So, yeah, he's all over the place. Back. Yeah. So he's all over the place. All right. Enough about the production. Let's talk about the song. Yeah. Um, What do you guys think about Better? I love it. I think it's a great song. It's uh, just like the... Um, song before it, it's a nice, you know, it's wrapped up. It's like three minutes long or something. It's like a nice pop song, just ready. It's got a standard kind of, uh, um, arrangement to it. And I think that the message it kind of brings across is one of, you know, the record's called begin to hope. And I've never really figured out a way that like an interpretation that I like of, of that name of, for the record, um, for me, um, that I could, you know, I just never dove deep enough for it, I guess. And uh, yeah, this is a, it's a hopeful song and it's a, it's, it's good without being cheesy, man. I, I, I really like the song. So where exactly is it sore? Cause she keeps saying, if I kiss you where it's sore, will it make you feel better? So where it doesn't matter wherever yeah. it's sore. Okay. Wherever. Yeah. Okay. So catharsis is to help you get through the sore part and then yeah, yeah. make it better. All right. I'm not going to kiss you on it. If it doesn't make any difference, I guess that's the, that felt like that's the point she's yeah, making. We can't be wasting our time like that. Yeah, I can't waste my time with this. You know what? I, this is another great song, and like, uh, but I think the only thing that I put it down further because it, like I had mentioned about the first one, and it has this weird, this quirky nature. And there's like three or four other songs that also have that. This is just a straight up 
uh, pop song. There was a lot of girls playing piano uh, at at this time, and it just not that I, I and it's a great song, but it just fell into it's a little more normal. It didn't really push things around like I think some of the other songs did. Yeah, I agree with that as well. Sure. You 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 thought that it sounded too Ingrid Michaelson to Sarah Bareilles? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Those are some of the names. Yeah, Michelle Branch, I think, was one of the ones, the names I thought I'm of. I'm not familiar with her, but I got to say Ingrid Michelson's a pretty pretty fantastic name for a uh, singer-songwriter. <laughs> That's awesome. She's good. Um, all right, let's get some scores on better. Wayne? I gave it a six. Like I said, I liked it, but it felt, it felt normal, and a lot of this record's got a little, like I say, quirkiness, a little weirdness to it. All right. And Tom? I'm right there with you. I gave it a six as well. Um, it kind of, you know, but as we had mentioned over email that ranking these records, it's got to be, you know, if, if some of your favorite guy, guy, if you guys ever do some of your favorite records, it's probably so hard to to rank them. Um, but I feel bad that this song got a six, kind of, because I'm really rooting for it. But as we get to the other songs, I don't know why I had to, to choose that. No, we get it. Would not be an episode without our guests telling us how screwed up our scoring system is but that that's all good oh yeah i felt like i stole from my friend when i was was scoring this thing i was like damn (laughs) ranking your children (laughs) i feel like that would be easier (laughs) (laughs) with my children it would and uh i give it an eight so i'm i've all this all the cred that i got for liking a punk band probably just went out the door with my score on that right Wayne. Oh no, not that. Come on, this is about an opinion. Okay. You can have a, your opinion can be wrong. All right. It's all right. I'm not going to hold that against you. You have before. All right. Um, <laughs> third song. This is probably really good. <laughs> this is Samson. It's a new recording of a song originally released on 2002's Songs. Uh, for some reason, I thought it was on Soviet Kitsch. We, we, Wayne and I chatted about that before. Um, if you're looking for songs, it's not on Spotify. Sorry. No, it is not. No. Uh, so this song is my... It's hard to say because as life fluctuates, but this is my favorite song of all time. Um, it uh, Of hers or anybody? Of anybody's. So I find this wow. song to be such a powerful and beautiful song, and it resonates with me in ways that I don't fully understand. And I think that's one of the reasons why, also why I just love it so much. It's um, it's just perfect in so many ways. It's uh, reminiscent of some of my other favorite songs, like uh, uh, some yeah, Hallelujah, like in that yes. sort of the imagery and some of the way that the chords move uh, are very similar. It's haunting. I think that the aspect of rewriting a biblical story with uh, some modern vernacular and some some other ideas is just such a powerful thing, especially because it came up 
not with like a heavily religious background. I just came up as like an you know standard Irish Catholic. But that imagery, because of when I was younger, that just anything that's like that usually can get a little bit deeper than something else. I think because of the way that I experienced that when I was much younger, and uh, just the fact that there would be this massive story that's remembered for generations in history, and the narrator of the song has placed herself as a as a forgotten and unknown character that is indicative of how everything actually happened and the way that that is pushed to the side or, or accepted that that's not as big of a deal is just, I don't know, just, it's so profound. I, it, it could give me chills every time I, I listen to it. I just absolutely love the song. <laughs> I'm right there with you. This is also my top score on, on this record. My favorite Regina song. I love when you take something that's historical and you kind of just, um, I won't say flip it on its head, but you know, you, 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 you craft a story around it, something that you're already familiar with. You already know about Samson and his long hair. And yeah, I, I, I dig this song a lot. I make connections with songs because they're, I can, I can tell that whoever is singing it means it. it like, it's not just a story. It's, there's a there's a story behind the story, if that even makes any sense. Um, For sure, and and there's emotion to this this song, definitely. And I'm glad that she redid it. I'm glad that whoever put the bug in her ear of you know I know this is on your other album, but you should rework this and put this on because it's awesome. Yeah, I'm so glad that they made that decision. Uh, whomever you know moved that along or how she came to it. Cause I can't imagine what it would be like without this song having the, uh, recognition that it's got. I mean, I still think it's underrated obviously, but it's, uh, you know, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and this is the one that I said that I, I, it, it kept, it just stayed in my mind. And this is the one that I, if, if I would have waited and held back on my scoring, I also would be there right with the both of you. Um, cause I love, I always love it when someone takes their own life or their own situation or whether it even be, you know, outside of themselves and they flip it into this historical sense. And like, and I love the line about, you know, the Bible doesn't mention us and it gives you that, that feeling of it's so significant to me. It's so important to me, but yet in the scheme of real life, you know, reality, it's not, it's not mentioned anywhere in the history books, but yeah, the just I love a song when it creates images in my head. Like when I see these these scissors flying like Edward Scissorhands and just hair flying everywhere. She just paints these this incredible picture. It's an incredible. The piano is incredibly moving. Her voice is re- is you know moving, and it it tells this story. It takes this biblical story and puts it into real life, and. Uh, just, and like I say, some of the lines, just the, the, if I hadn't, and I was another thing that another thought that I had was if I hadn't listened to Joni Mitchell's blue and fell in love with it just recently. Um, cause you can hear that in this song, you can definitely tell her Joni Mitchell inspiration in this song. Man, that's wild that you say that because I just started listening to that record, um, very heavily in the last two months, maybe because I didn't, you know, I just never heard it before. I heard some of the songs from it. But I just, and I feel the same exact way. Like that, that influence or that kind of um, um, same incarnation is is there so strong with that. That's awesome. 
Yeah, that the Wonder Bread line, that completely, that's so Joni Mitchell. Like from listening to Blue, those silly lines that she just throws in that I need something that rhymes, but still gonna kind of bridge this gap and mean something. Yeah. But yeah, the the idea that she she took this from him, you know, his better years or his strength or whatever, and he's okay with it. He's like, <laughs> you know, it's all right. But the line that the the line that made me like like gave me goosebumps was the he couldn't was it uh he couldn't bring the columns down. Just like you were, I mean, and at fifty, you you remember a time when you would bring that building down, you push all those k- columns over, and then after life, and the you know, and all of the things that happen, you just you just you can't do it anymore. And it's not her fault. It's it's a realization that you know it's not it's not really the hair. I think that's a it's a an old wives' tale. Wow. But that's awesome. but here here's the beauty of those lyrics, though, Wayne, is that. She's saying, oh, we couldn't bring the columns down. She's saying we couldn't bring the columns down. Uh, I don't know. I I heard he, but I'm not going to argue with you. But the other line that made me think twice and kept rolling around in my head is when she said, I loved you first. And I couldn't, I honestly, I love it when I can't figure out what they mean, that, that there's, does she mean I loved you first and now I don't love you anymore second? Or I loved you first and you love, you know, before you even loved me. To me, I always took that line as uh, he's gone. That adds to the lack of her existence or the narrator's existence in throughout history. Like uh, I'm not going to get the credit for being the first to love you. I'm not going to be the that crucial to your story. Um, but you know, damn it, I was I was first. Think of that. Yeah. So we're not thinking that Regina is taking on the Delilah character. That's what I think. It's, the, it's yeah. not the Delilah character, yeah, because yeah. she's saying she was there before that. She's first. Yep, that's what I get to. Yeah, this is also a song that showcases something that I think is uh, very unique about her songwriting, and one of my favorite parts about it, and one of makes makes her my favorite uh, 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 living songwriter is that her ability to jump into other people uh, and write from their perspective is uncanny. And yeah, I think that there's a couple of her songs in this record where she really gets into that. But um, I just always found that was fantastic. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Spooky. So Tom and my favorite song on the record, Wayne, what was your score? 11. Okay. Nice. We can probably stop recording this episode right now because I'm pretty sure I (laughs) know what our... If if the object was to find out the number one song, I think think we just did. We just did. All right. But we still have a bunch. All right. Here's the next song. This is on the radio. And this was first single off of this record. Uh, the chorus makes reference to November Rain by Guns N' Roses. Absolutely. And the long solo. Yes, absolutely. What's interesting on the research that I did for this is um, Amanda Palmer often plays this song live. 
Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. So you you don't think Amanda Palmer has been uh, influenced by Regina Spector? No, totally. I actually only recently started to listen to uh, Amanda Palmer with the release of her newest record. Um, yeah. Someone recommended it to me, and it is, it's, there's, there's some heavy songs on that, man. That's a, that's a great, great record. Um, video is, is, is nice. It's cute. It's uh, Regina basically in a school teaching kids music. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I forgot about that. Yeah, it's nice, nice little video. Yeah, which is funny that there's kids in it because the first line, you know, one of the first lines is, uh, and then we drove our hearse right through a screaming crowd. I, I know. While laughing up a storm. Yeah, I don't know if you could have done that uh, this recently. No, uh, yeah, you're right. Probably not. I mean, you could, you know. It wouldn't have gone over well in Virginia, I don't think. No, no. definitely I, not. I wonder, does she change any of the lyrics or are we, she keeping those as is? Oh, I, I hope not. I mean, like I say, it was a yeah, it's a different yeah. time. She just that's like I say, this is one of the songs. Like I say, the quirky's back. Um, this has a as a, a unique feel to it with just the piano and the drums. And I think I don't know if it's a violin or a cello, but there's a stringed instrument in there. That's yeah, like a pizzicato kind of um, uh, rhythm yeah. part. But it's almost, and I know it's, and I don't mean to throw his name around like it reminds me of it or anything. But Bob Dylan, it gave me that. Cause there's light of, a, there's, there's almost like a stream of consciousness word association thing that she's, she's making like a lot of ways like Bob Dylan will do. She's making a bigger point with words that almost seem nonsensical or, or not really, you know, she's just rhyming things. But if you, but this, this whole millennial feel of this is our time. And I thought that the, I, that she picked a song from 1991 or 1992 um, really made a lot of sense because, you know, this 20 something group would have probably, you know, been really young at the time, like five, seven years old. It's your, you know, your dad's classic radio station. Um, I thought that, that, so she has this, this whole, I got this bigger picture from a lot from lyrics that don't necessarily sound like they're, they're very, you know, like they make a lot of sense or they're very, you know, you know, highbrow, but yet this, it has a real, but just like say and that quirkiness, just the you know with the piano and the and the drums. Oh, totally. Yeah, there's like a homesick blues almost kind of vibe yeah, yeah. to the uh, way that she just starts riffing, and especially in the first verse. And I think that the uh, a lot of the word choice and uh, it paints an image that you can totally, if you you could definitely sit there and ascribe a very particular um, situation or object that it's an allegory for at each part. But it's more so, at least to me, it's it's the um, imagery and associations that come up while listening to it. And it's really, uh, a lot of it's being that dark and being that, um, um, you know, almost metal. It's like a, a, a bit of a, con- like a, not a stark contrast, but it's definitely a way that you listen to this poppier sounding piano and cello driven song with this kind of subject matter to it. It makes it, it's pretty rock and roll. It's pretty, really, really cool thing to do. And I really uh, enjoy yeah. that part of the song. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. All right, should we get some scores on this? So I'm giving this a 10, yeah. Wayne. I also gave it a 10. Right. Nice. Oh, yeah, I gave it an 8. All right, moving on. Field Below. And darkness spreads over the snow Like ancient bruises I'm awake But I 
And uh, my only notes on this were piano song, so I'm pretty sure Wayne's going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't the piano altogether. It was when she, um, this song almost, it just doesn't feel like the lyrics and the and the piano match. I wouldn't say that I like, I don't like either one of them. It just felt like out of sync. But when she does that little tickling in the ivories thing where uh, the notes come really fast, that, that, just just threw me off in general. And like I say, and then at about a with about a minute left, it just walks off the rails. Yeah, the string arrangements at the, towards the end. Yeah, and she just uh, just like I say, it she's I'm something doesn't feel right about the way it it the vocals fit with the piano. Just it just and I, I I'm sure it could just be me, but then towards the end she just walks off the rails and just starts she almost starts vamping and just kind of it, the whole thing changes up and just drag, you know, drags the last minute kind of painfully drags out. Yeah, it's funny. Cause I'm a fan of that part. I kind of like how I think that this uh, song really gets into a pace and it's like a deep dive into um, Regina Spector and what she can do and showcase some of the more things that associate with like classical music training, I guess. And um, that it sounds really hard. <laughs> And the uh, but this song in itself to me is is always been I always thought of it as a song kind of about a hangover or that kind of like that kind of situation. Um, but the f- first verse is about longing for uh, nature, but it makes a, a a reference to being stuck in the city, not being able to uh, experience those things that they're longing for. And to me, it was always like I can't get shaken out of the situation that I'm in, um, whether it's the lover that she wants to see or. Um, you know, with the wish you could see the field below and uh, yeah, just being stuck and not kind of reconciling that. And maybe that's uh, why the music sounds just a, a little bit off uh, to it as well. Cause that's kind of like the, the thing that's yeah. going across to it. But with that said, I didn't give it that high of a score. Cause uh, you know, <laughs> got the other songs on here as well. Yeah. So, so to your point, Tom, the, the, the refrain of I'm awake and I feel the ache. Yeah. Yeah. Just quite literal. Yeah. Hangover song. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's get some scores. So Wayne. I gave it a two. See, I was right. I was like, <laughs> piano song, Wayne's gonna hate this. Well that right. that's definitely not it though, because that's I think where she shines as a piano player. So it was just like I say, there was something about it that didn't that that I couldn't link the two together. It just had this out of out of place feel about it. Yeah, um, but I definitely. I mean, I, I. There were moments of it where I was, I was very fond of it. Like I would say, the the part where she talks about the ancient brews, um, and she, it all puts it together, and then she does this little tickle the ivories thing, and it falls all apart again for me. Yep. All right, Tom. Yeah, I give it a four. All right, uh, and I give it a five. Hey. And that moves us on to hotel song. Sign that 
And since I have the benefit of seeing people's scores ahead of time, Wayne, you uh, you like this song a little bit more than I did. I did. It was a little quirky, but it also the it more so had this uh, Carol King, not so much Carol King, but the the song she wrote for those girl groups in the sixties. It had that that very that had that feel about it, and uh, with the snare drum and the and then I was also I, I couldn't help myself. I had to look up what owls and orca whales in a dream mean. What does it mean? And it, once I did, it made so much sense. So it was like uh, hidden fears and inner wisdom are owls when they show up in your dreams, and then killer whales uh, gaining more strength and capacity to deal with different challenges. Because the whole thing, I like to say the one thing, uh, the one interesting, uh, one of the more interesting parts I found was, or I listened to was when the, uh, she talks about the little bag of cocaine and then she's talking about, you know, who is that, that girl in my dress? And then she says something about, and then it, it goes into, uh, um, I don't, I don't, I basically don't know her address, but I, I kind of took it as a, she's high and she's like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Who's that girl? She's kind of outside herself looking at this other person at this party or at this club and she doesn't even know who she is or, or where, where she lives anymore. Nice. I did not pick that up. That's good observation. Yeah. I, I took that part of the song and ran with it. It was just, she hooked up with a girl, uh, on kind of like a, a party bender situation. Um, cause he's got her number written on the napkin and it's literally talking about a little bag of cocaine and, um, one of my favorite parts is talking about bribing the hotel desk guy. Uh, he said, I think something about, yeah. um, uh, <laughs> Two yeah, gold coins. smiles to me, a smile <laughs> that I bought with a couple of gold coins or whatever. Uh, yeah, I just thought that, and it's really cool that you mentioned that, um, Carol King part. I didn't even notice, especially like the bop, bop, bops that the instruments do after some of the, um, after the chorus and after some of the lines in it. And that's like totally reminiscent of that music. That's, that's, that's really cool. It's awesome. Yeah. I feel like I've, heard that melody before though i mean you guys know you, what i'm talking I'm about sure that yeah it's a little bit of that mid 60s uh vibe to it you know like you said wayne a little bit of that carol king um brill building you know brill building uh feel to it but i can't place it somebody's gonna need to to help me with it because I, I swear i've heard that melody somewhere before but well, there's only 12 notes a man can play. I th- I didn't sound it didn't oh, feel like true. she was rip, ripping anybody off. It just she captured that that sound and then but yet it had this totally, you know, t- you know, 21st century party girl kind of feel to it in the in the middle. Yeah. So which reminds me, I think that someone actually recently told me she was mentioned in that book uh called Meet Me in the Bathroom that was written by a journalist that's kind of like a uh, what do you call it? Tell all, I guess, or something about uh, like a, yeah. a chronicling of um, that New York music scene uh, of that time. I haven't Stoke, finished you know. it. Yeah, Liz- Lizzie, Lizzie Goodman. Good- that's that's the journalist name. And uh, someone told me Regina Spector's in the book. So I would assume so, considering the connection with the Strokes. Yeah, they did. They had a song got, together as haven't well. Haven't gotten that far. Uh, I don't yeah. remember what it was called, but yeah. Yeah, I'm still on the first uh, first half of the book with uh, incarnation of the yeah yeah yeahs and um, LCD and all that stuff. So very cool. I definitely definitely got to read that sometime. Yeah, I got to finish it. Um, all right. Did we get some scores? Did I ask? For no, scores? we alluded to them, but not yet. I am off my game tonight, guys. Nah, we got all right. Let's get some scores. All right, Tom. I gave it a five, and this was one of the songs that was it was tough to look at the number after I after I put it down. Yeah, Wayne. 
Uh, eight. All right. I'm giving it a four. Leads us up to. All right. Somebody help me with the pronunciation because I'm going to slaughter it. Après moi. Après moi, de douche. song is so good <laughs> yes. yes absolutely yeah, man. uh my my first notes are kate bush influenced um i just i i don't i didn't get kate bush from it i mean this this one is uh it has that dark moodiness that only a piano can give you that really ominous deep dark moodiness and then i love uh I love the uh, the title. I had because I had a Wikipedia of that too because it's actually a line credited to Louis the Fifteenth. Which yeah. I love. There's they said there's two meanings. It's either after me, this thing's going to go to shit, or after me, I don't care if this thing goes to shit. Yeah. Either way, I think it's awesome. I, I just love that. The literal line is after me, the flood, right? Like yeah. the deluge, which we use that word interchangeably in English, right? Deluge, deluge. Um, yeah, this song is so it's it's very reminiscent to me of some show tunes music almost as well, like uh, Les Miserables situation, because not just the um, actual instrumentation or the fact that she sings in, in, in French and Russian. Uh, it also the themes are just about some of those like rigid notions of um, like Russian music and propaganda involving governance and the people uh, that is so associated with that. And the, the chords are so dark and the way that they're hammered on so powerfully on the one of each beat just like slams into you. And it's like uh, a marching thing that she does with her breath towards the end of the song and everything. And everything is just so rigid and brutal and um, urgent that it's just so powerful. And then when she finally kicks in to Russian towards the end of the song, it's one of the, like uh, it still gives me chills most of the times when I listen to it. And that's one of my uh, favorite ways to introduce somebody to Regina Spector because it's um, it could be very polarizing. You know, it's like a six minute long song or something. And you know, a bunch of it's in Russian. That's like a bizarre thing to show someone, but it's just so powerful and so far from the pop songs that uh, she's better known for that. It's a really, really fun, uh, fun thing to do. You guys ready for my wormhole? Let me tell you. Yeah. Oh, uh, hell yes. Let me tell let me tell you where where I went with this. So, doing some research, come to find out Peter Gabriel covered this for for his record Scratch My Back. That's awesome. I did not know that. I I, I love Peter Gabriel's version. And I, and I will tell you the reason why I like it more than hers in just a, in just a moment. So then I'm looking at this and, and, you know, the, the, to, to your point, Wayne, of the pronunciation is after me comes the flood. 
Okay. So I thought that this was an interesting cover for Peter, considering he has a song called Here Comes the Flood, which was first on his 1977 record, Car. He then redid that song for his Greatest Hits compilation in 1990, where it was more stripped down. That version haunts me. Okay. So so now you've got Peter singing two different songs about the flood. I just thought that that was fascinating. All right. So that's so cool. To that point, I like Peter Gabriel's version only because I hate the, the, I, it sounds like she's throwing up a little bit and maybe that's what she's trying to do. But so my score may, may look as though I don't like the song, which is not the case, but Wayne has reminded me especially going back to that Joni Mitchell episode where you reminded me that I need to score Joni's version of a case of you, not Brandy Carlisle's version of a case of you. (laughs) So there you go. There's my, there is my wormhole. Um, And with that, anyone have any clue what she's saying during that Russian part? I think it was a poem, but that that's the one thing that typically I would, I, I don't know if you start speaking another language, it 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 loses you a little bit, but at this time, at this point, this song is about the piano and her voice, and it this is a this is a case of it's not what she's singing, it's how she's singing it. Mm-hmm. She she could have been singing the Russian alphabet, and I don't know that I would have known or cared because it just has this it, the, the the feel that the piano creates, and then her voice on top of it just yes. It's just amazing, and it, and like I say, I don't I don't know what she's saying because normally I would have a problem with the inconsistency between a French titled song and then speaking Russian in it, but I I don't even know, I don't know what she's saying. I don't care. Tom, did yeah. she play this on the Broadway show? Oh yeah, 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 it was awesome. Okay, uh, I remember I remember looking up the poem one time, um, and in a typical kind of, I remember the imagery being very Russian. It's like something having to do with winter and like. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, being stepped on by your government, but um, I can never remember the name of it or who it was who it was written by. It's uh, it definitely resonates uh with or without knowing exactly what she's saying, just with the emotion that she throws behind it, and just right. the the kind of like almost guttural and brutal nature of hearing the uh the Russian language in that context. I don't even know it's because we've been taught or exposed to Russian as primarily like the bad guy in an eighties action movies. That's like the, the I tried to kill majority. James Bond. War games. Yeah, James Bond. Yeah. Uh, Rocky four, you know, I will break you. Yeah. Uh, but it just does, does sound that way. And it is quite beautiful and, and uh, interesting uh, language, but yeah, that, that, that part of the song is just so, so awesome. She actually has a couple of songs that are in Russian. And I believe one or two songs that are in French. And one of them is called The Prayer of St. Francis Valla in, I think, a city. And that's one of my favorite songs to listen to by her. And, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what she's saying, but it's just so incredibly beautiful and resonates uh, from somewhere. So, so fantastic. Cool. All right. Let's get some scores on this. Wayne? I give it a nine. And then Tom? Uh, Eleven. Number two for me. All right. And I give this a six. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I am uh, personally offended. I know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Sorry. All right. Uh, moving on. 20 years of snow. 
What's with the machine gun vocaling towards the end that she does on this song? Oh, God, I love it. Uh, you know, <laughs> this might be a, a divisive point between us, but it's so, uh, it's so, I don't want to say avant-garde because that sounds so pretentious and ridiculous, but it's, uh, yeah, it's just such a, a weird way to do something like that with your voice as an instrument or throw to like an operatic kind of situation almost. And it's, yeah, it's like a whole new uncomfortable element that complements the kind of like weirdness of the lyrics that are just, you know, ambiguous on their own and also kind of reminiscent of on the radio in that they have just a kind of a bizarre imagery at some points. Did you, did you like it initially or did you grow into liking that? To be completely honest, I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember if I really, uh, if I was, I mean, I'm sure I was taken aback when I first heard it because it's like jarring, you know, it's yeah. like jarring as hell. But um, yeah, I just really like it. Okay. I was just wondering if maybe I need to listen to it a few more times to maybe change my mind. on. From that. my personal experience, if it definitely grew on me to where that, that part will get caught in my head here and there. Yeah. But uh, the way that she really starts to fly away with the piano and it becomes less of a... Um, you know, four to the floor on beat part. And there's really a lot of like triplets and, and kind of, um, uh, interesting more jazz noise as it, uh, kind of like whips out like a, like a, like a crack of a whip as it's like a wave flowing over. I really, really liked that part. And I was like, I didn't really listen to any, I wasn't exposed to a lot of jazz or classical music when I was younger. So this was, um, actually some of the first jazz piano that I really ever heard. Yeah. Okay. Wayne, what you got on this one? 20 years of snow. Uh, it was my least favorite. It starts off with that weird, like sped up music box thing. And I thought fields below felt out of sync. This thing never just doesn't, it just didn't sync up. And then it gets in the middle. She, she starts something new and I actually kind of like that. And then she goes that she falls right back into us. And I, the thing I think is, what you're talking about is where the it's kind of a scale that goes up. It's like ding, 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 ding. yeah, yeah. Right in the middle, she does something yeah. like completely different, and then super cool. But then she goes back, and so it's funny. It's one of those things when I, I'm listening to it, I, I there's parts of it that I really like, and then at the end, there's just too many things that I didn't. Yeah. All right. So let's get some scores on this. So Wayne, I think you've already said this was my my I got a one, my least favorite score, and then Tom. I gave the three for this one. Yeah. And this is my least favorite on the record as well. All right. Moving on to that time. Yeah. Boxes of tangerines. So cheap and juicy. Tangerines. Hey, remember that time when I would only read Shakespeare? Hey, remember that other 
another time when I would only read the backs of cereal boxes. I remember that time I tried to save a bitch and I was a broken wing. A street cat got him blind morning and I had to bury pieces of his body in our building's playground. One thing that I do before I get scoring from Wayne is I always... I always try and predict what he's going to to have as his top score. <laughs> and I I kind of figured Fidelity was going to be up there and Samson was going to be up there, but I thought this was going to be. And um, you kind of surprised me a little bit. You, um, well, you know what's uh, – and you know what? If there's one thing it shouldn't surprise you is this is the one song that has some actual guitar. Yeah. Like there's guitar in this song. Um, but I didn't notice that. I always liked this song the first from the first listen through. And it was after I'd listened to it a couple of times that I read, I was, I don't know, I was reading her Wikipedia page and I saw she, saw she married the guy from moldy peaches. And I'm like, that is exactly, that thing could have been on the Juno soundtrack. I didn't even, <laughs> I didn't even put that together until I read that, but this is just, like I say, it makes the quirkiness of the other songs <laughs> seem lightweight and it just, but it has this, I don't know. There's just this uniqueness to it that I've just found fun. And then it even gets a little dark with that last verse about, uh, remember the time you OD'd? Oh, remember that other time when you OD'd again? <laughs> and I was just like, wow, this is, it's, it's got some cool dark imagery. And then she ends it perfectly with the word freaky, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. If there were any songs yeah, that had a strokes influence, this this is pretty much it, right? This would be the one song on the album that feels like, yeah, there were probably she was probably hanging out with the Strokes way too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, that even the way that the guitar is played, it's played uh, to me like somebody who's a really good musician. I, mean, I guess maybe what it was essentially, someone who's a fantastic musician who can play any instrument. If you put it in their hands, they would be able to get you. Um, you know, they'd be able to make something fantastic from it it sounds like you know because there's mainly just a couple of strings that are played it's not really big on chords it's just kind of like a moving um root note kind of situation going on and it is awesome so it's just like she just downstrokes it to hell it's super punk it's like sounds like she's playing with her elbow and not a wrist you know it's like uh it's pretty pretty badass and the, the lyrics themselves are just i feel like i've known these people and I was one of these people for so long. I was going to say, I feel like I was one of these people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, even down to uh, the cigarette branding and how, yeah, I mean, the phases of your life that you go through. I, yeah, I went through the phase where I only smoked other people's cigarettes. <laughs> I know people were still in that phase. Interesting. Um, 30 years. But uh, yeah, in the, at the end where she ends it with Freaky uh, after talking about the psychic connection that they had in the in the in the waiting room like if you don't know if it's a a true uh magic moment or a hallucination kind of situation just yeah everything about this song i love i love this song so much actually that and i love her guitar song she has a couple other um you know we keep throwing this word quirky around but i mean it just fits so well she has a couple other guitar based songs that are that are kind of quirky and tell really interesting stories and i actually got i've tracked down that guitar wow. and bought it so i have it it's the guitar that i keep at my house um well i keep a bunch of my guitars in my house but it's the one that i pick up and play um most often while i'm uh writing and stuff like that it's a uh an epiphone alley cat like a blue one it's not like a super expensive guitar super fancy but there's there weren't that many of them and you can't find them very often but i found one on on reverb eventually and, and finally got it 
that I love that thing. That's awesome. Nice. My my last cool. note on this one was, hey, remember that time when I was OCD? So, anyways, that's that's, that's my attempt at humor on this one. All right, um, let's get some scores on this. So, Tom, I uh, seven for me, and then Wayne, also a seven, and I gave this a nine. So, um, I'm really shocked that I like this song more than you, Wayne. I am also. I'm crazy. I also got to say, this is the song someone uh, put on a mix for me to introduce me to Regina Spector. One of the couple songs, awesome. but it was like the first one that was like, he'll like the punk song. Right. And then you listen to <laughs> Opera Moi and you're like, um, what? Yeah. And then I was, exa- that's, you know, probably what happened at the time. Yeah. All right. Uh, next song is Edit. is my theme song for the month of November because I am going to be doing the National Novel Writing Month again. And <laughs> what is the National Novel Writing Month? Yeah, so uh, I did this uh, two years ago and uh, essentially you sign up. Um, you have a lot of other would-be writers who are trying to write 50,000 words in a month. Damn. Yeah. So if uh, that's a feat, man, good luck on that. That's awesome. Yeah. So if uh, you see that there's not a lot of content on the podcast, uh, social media in the month of November, that's why. Um, and yeah, so the, uh, the line of you can write, but you can't edit. Yeah. That's probably the reason why I'm not published yet because I suck at editing. So there you go. My theme song for the month. I have a couple questions on this. So who's Dr. Robert? That's a Beatles song. Are you kidding me? I can't believe you just said that. I don't. On it's which album? Revolver. Revolver. Oh. oh, then I'm. I and Uncle go. Albert is a Paul McCartney. I knew that. I knew solo that. Song. I know. That. Well, I did not know that uh, Uncle Albert was a Paul McCartney solo song. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, I'm. I knew the Paul McCartney wing song, but I didn't know the Beatles song. So I'm. I'm terribly embarrassed right now. <laughs> That's all right. I didn't know who the wrecking crew was one time. It's okay. That's that's true. You didn't. You didn't. All right. We're we're even. Um, are the white lines cocaine or is that Absolutely. white? Absolutely. That is a clear drug reference. Yeah. Yeah. We've had this a second time. So it's not white out or- that we use on typewriters. The old the old <laughs> no. typewriters. No. Okay. No. All right. All right. I just love. I did love the line. You you can write, but you can't edit as a i it's like a shot at some uh some guy because you can't do the whole job you can you're you can't you can't finish you can't do the whole thing yeah totally i love that line as well i also think of it as like you can you can do but you can't change what you did already uh so you know like you can you can't learn from your you mistakes, can write yeah yeah you can't change what you did already you know you can't change the past so you're you're, you're barreling forward and that's all that's all you got yeah i'm gonna have to put this on like a uh, a mix playlist while I'm while I'm writing 
just to give me that. It's got a good yeah. drone. It's got like a circular kind of drone beat oh, here, yeah. so maybe like I you think, can kind of zone zone into the writing. I think that's definitely from the drum machine. It yeah. gives it a whole different feel than anything else. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's get some scores since we need to move on because I'm, like I said, I'm embarrassed on that. <laughs> And I'm and I'm gonna and I'm gonna go listen to Revolver. Go listen to every Beatles song. No, ever. just Revolver. Just Revolver. Because that okay. that is, I do love Revolver. I, it's just been way too long since I've listened to it. It's our it's our strict regiment of all of these records that we're listening to, Wayne. I know you made me listen to Kate Bush for two weeks, and we didn't even do the podcast. I know, waste my time. That wasn't my fault. It wasn't my fault. <laughs> as soon as we're done, I'm gonna listen to uh, Operate Mob by P- Peter Gabriel's version. Yeah, I can't wait. You email me afterwards tell me what you think yeah nice absolutely all right let's get some scores on edit tom it hurts but i gave i gave it the okay. one uh you know it's kind of the one that i don't revisit all that often and it's a great tune but yep. yeah wayne and i gave it a five i didn't and i didn't feel super happy about that the songs like towards the middle like they could have gone a lot of different ways yeah all right and i gave it a three which leads us up to next song, which is Lady. Say goodbye to my love, but I will surely cry. Little wet tears on my baby's shoulder. Little wet tears on my baby's shoulder. Lady lights a cigarette. Puffs away. And I was trying to say it like Kenny Rogers, but <laughs> I failed miserably, apparently. <laughs> uh, so, so Wayne, I wanted to throw this one out to you since we just did the episode about Joni Mitchell's Blue. Do you feel like there's a Joni influence here on this song? Especially with like the jazz elements, the sultry stacks, the chord changes. That makes sense because what I, I wrote on this one is I I don't I feel like I've heard it before on this record. It just didn't this is the one that it didn't I, I wouldn't have say I didn't like it or that you know it was any I haven't I don't have anything bad to say about it. It just didn't it felt like I'd already listened to it in a lot of ways. And then the sax, which this I, I love they bring in a little bit of sax, but then at the end they put the sax in the front of the mix with another horn and it that that bothered me. That the ending goes on way too I long. I feel like you you uh, don't like the when they, they venture out into the jazz kind of territories of the of the And like, like I say, uh, yeah, I, I can say I'm I haven't I don't have a lot of experience with anything like any of the arty jazz. Like I've heard some Coltrane and some Charlie Parker and Miles Davis, but I don't know anything terribly avant-garde and if that's what it was going for then i missed i definitely missed the boat but the originally when the sax comes in i was like yeah that's that's a nice element and then they they flip it up in the front of the mix and then adds like i'm not it's not a kazoo but it's clearly not a saxophone or or a a big horn and then and it's right in your face to end it seemed like an odd choice this song makes me want to start smoking again so bad. Every time I hear it, it's just so good. Uh, a good friend of mine recently, uh, she told me that this song's about uh, Billie Holiday, um, which I didn't realize all of the years of listening yeah. to this song. Okay. Um, but there's a couple references to her song. And, and I assume, because it did give me, Lady Lady Sings the Blues is exactly the first thing I thought of when 
when yeah, the songs yeah, when the, and when the finding start. out more about um her story and what she went through uh is crazy. Uh getting a little tangential off of this, but I didn't realize how hard she was pursued by uh, members of federal law enforcement and all kinds of completely insane things. And the way that she died was just the, one of the more tragic stories that I've ever heard ever. Um, yeah, man, it's pretty crazy. But back yeah, to this song, absolutely. it's like, yeah, it's like, it's got that, the way that that saxophone creeps in is just, uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a really good, um, vibe to the record. I definitely, I gave it a lower score and it's not one that I revisit a lot. Cause I don't think it's like, um, you know, I don't know for whatever reason, it just doesn't do it for me that well. But yeah, definitely the the imagery that it recalls and the picture that's painted while I'm listening to it is 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 a is a cool place to go. Well, don't listen to it too much because we don't want to see you writing a song that says, "Hey, remember that time when I would only smoke parliaments? Remember that time when I would only yeah?" Smoke and then parliaments? I quit, and then I started again many years later <laughs> because of the song, yeah. right? All right, let's get some scores on this. So, Tom? Uh, two. And I'm matching your two. And then Wayne? I gave it a four. All right. And let's uh, let's wrap this up. Last song on the record. The U.S. release. Yeah. Uh, this is Summer in the City. Yeah, man, what a song. This is, uh, I remember I mentioned before, maybe when we were talking about Sansom, that she has a very uncanny ability to write a song from somebody else's perspective. And to me, this is just a more powerful resonation and retelling of what it's like to be a uh, confused, sexually frustrated male um, in a city than, than, you know, even when I was a, like a confused young man experiencing just that, you know, like this is, this thing hits so hard and, and such a, uh, an intense way. And you're like, how did this, how did she find that? How did she write this song this way? You know, it's really, uh, yeah, this is a, a, a spooky one. Yeah. When I first heard this, I was like, um, is she writing about that? Maybe she's a gay character. And then I'm like, Oh, she's writing it from a male viewpoint. Is that accurate? Uh, that's what I took from the song for sure. Yeah, yeah that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I was, because I, I was probably going to do a really bad job of separating the lines from one another. Um, the other lines on this, I do have to ask. So, the lines of at the sight of a beautiful woman, they feel nothing but anger. Her skin makes them sick in the night, nauseous, nauseous. Am I just hanging around good people where I don't have friends that would be lumped into that group where beautiful women make them mad? Sounds like a serial killer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I closed up shop to one song too early because I didn't, I didn't, I guess I just didn't dive into the lyrics. Like I, and I'm typically, that's one thing I do. Um, I loved 
And my score doesn't reflect how much, because I, once again, I like this song, but I felt one of the things it felt was the perfect closing number, because it definitely has this raggedness that I liked. And it, it felt like it just, it said to me, I left it all on the stage or in the studio per se. I just, I, there, I got, that's all I got left. Like just stumbled to the finish line, you know, left it all on the field. Uh, raggedness that I enjoyed about the whole thing, but I, I, but I, once again, I didn't focus on the lyrics, which is something I usually do. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, to, and to speak to your point about the um, fact that people, you know, what she says about the way and the, those people experiencing that range of emotion at that time, and she talks. I think she pre- prefaces those people experiencing that as uh, being castrated ones, right? Mm-hmm. Castrated ones in the corner smoking. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think she talks about how they you know that's a a a trauma that they had gone through and a a really bad experience in their life that led them to have this kind of outward projection of 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 anger at a you know just the idea of a beautiful woman or their which is to them maybe a representation of their inadequacy or their complete uh you know nihilistic almost uh approach to their own self-worth and 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 the world and uh yeah, I mean, I definitely don't think I, these days I hang out uh, with anybody like that, but I think that I've known people who've experienced it. Um, are they are they castrated or are they just married people sitting in the corner knowing that they can't touch the beautiful <laughs> women? <laughs> maybe they are. Yeah, maybe they are. That's I'm not projecting. Just so you know, I'm not projecting. <laughs> All right. I don't have dangerous thoughts. Hell no. no. <laughs> don't. All In right. case anyone was thinking otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's get some scores. So Wayne, a three, a not not a happy three. All right. And then Tom, uh, a nine. All right. And I gave it a seven. And yeah. again, that that is the end of the U.S. release. So, is there anything on the deluxe version of the album? Um, anything from those other seven songs uh, on the deluxe record that maybe we need to chat about or, um, Tom, you've, you've delved into that probably more than Wayne and I have. So anything that should have been on here that we should talk about? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I'm going to look at my phone real quick on Spotify and see if there was one, if there, if any of the Russian language or French language songs were on there. They are so awesome and uh, so much fun to listen to that they just like hit really deep. I think there was a song called Dusseldorf, which was really fun. Um, and yeah, there's one of the B sides. I don't know which version it was on. It was called Dusseldorf, and that was just like a, a kind of a, a, a one of another quirky song that maybe it came out of these sessions. But besides the other ones, nah, nothing I could think of that I would want to want to rank on the record. Okay. Yeah, and Un America, that's that's on that. I'm assuming that's an oh, anti-gun yeah. song. The song kind of freaking me out with the uh, sound effects. The oh yeah yeah okay. That's on that's on the deluxe version. That makes sense. I used to be. I remember when for a while it seemed like on Spotify, you, every time you listen to a record, it was just by default the deluxe one. They're like, yeah, we got all of them are the deluxe ones, and it'd be really frustrating because it would end up playing like right demos. And ten songs that you didn't want to hear afterwards, and like ruining the record for you. Sometimes interspersed within the record. Yeah. All right. Um, so let's let's figure out what our top five is. I think we already know what our number one is, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Samson. Number two. 
What do you guys think ended up being our number two? Uh, fidelity, fidelity, probably? Fidelity. Yep. Yeah. Number three? On the radio. On the radio. Uh, nice. Opry Moi, that ended up being our fourth because I kind of nice. tanked it for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then that time, that rounds out oh. our top five. Nice. nice. That's great. Yeah. That's a pretty good top five, I'd say. That's solid. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's solid. Yeah, no problems there. Yeah. Do you guys ever get any like massive upsets where like two people picked... Uh, you know, a really high number, and then one person was their their least favorite song. Yeah, there's been a yeah. there's been a few. <laughs> um, I can't think of any examples right now, but yeah, there 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 been a few where it's like, dude, Wayne, you're so high. <laughs> so I'm not high. I'm drunk. Figuratively and literally. Yeah. yeah, there have been a few of those moments. So <laughs> so so did we cover everything? Did we miss anything on on the? Uh, Regina Spectre. No, this was this was great. Like I say, I I I did know that Outcome the Wolves was uh, on the list. I, I would have loved to have done that, but this is at yeah. Least- we could have did all thirty of those songs. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. Well, the podcast would have been longer than the record because the, the two minute songs. But uh, you know, the funny about uh, on um, Outcome the Wolves, that was like one of the first burned CDs that somebody just gave me, and naturally nothing was in the order that they had sequenced it in. So when I actually later, like later on, had gotten a copy from a store because I'd played that one out, I was like, "Damn, man! All these—they're not rolling into each other the way they always did for me." So <laughs> it's really funny how that worked That's before awesome. that. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure revisiting with you. So remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of you and the Menzingers. Sure, we've got. I mean, you just you just plug the Menzingers into your your search engine of choice, and you can get a. Uh, any of our upcoming tour dates and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And I will see you next cool. month here in Orlando. Yeah, man. I'm excited for that. That's going to be that's gonna be a great show. I can't wait for this yeah, tour. It's going to be great. Um, all right. So la- one last question before we uh, jump. So, and I'm lifting this question from a fellow podcaster here in Orlando. He does the Scotch and Good Conversation podcast. So, Tom, who do you know that I don't know who would want to join us on the podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Oh man. Uh who do I know that you don't yeah, know? Yeah, I always put people on the spot on this one. So I can always I can yeah, always tell a... people who haven't listened to a full episode of our podcast because the people who have listened, they come prepared. They know that I'm gonna ask. Yeah, I would have been prepared for sure. Yeah. Uh I'm gonna say that you should hit up my friend Roger Hart. Okay. I think he'd be, yeah, you'd have an interesting conversation for sure. And it would be in a, uh, in another realm. And who is Roger Harvey? Nice. He is a singer-songwriter from Philadelphia. He plays uh, kind of country folk music. Cool. And, yeah, it's... From, it's in our wheelhouse, fans. totally. Yeah, man. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Okay. Well, we will, we'll, we'll, we'll chat offline on that. Yeah, man. So as a reminder, you can find all our happenings on our Facebook page for the Records Revisited podcast. Go to recordsrevisitedpodcast.com for all of our previous episodes. We're on Instagram using the hashtag Records Revisited Podcast. Now on Twitter at Podcast Records. Uh, We're also now on Spotify. Just got added to Spotify this week. So we're now on all the major platforms, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Google, And on all those platforms, go subscribe, rate or review us. And thank you all for listening 
So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. Maybe one that's called Hello Exile. <laughs> uh, visit a record store. And not just on Record Store Day. We are Records Revisited. And we are... Out! Out. <laughs>